The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Last week we were looking at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians 13, a very famous passage, one which is often read at weddings because there's clear instruction upon what love is, and as a wedding you're celebrating love, and so it's great to read those things. But it's not just at weddings that we need to hear the instruction that this particular chapter brings. We need it for our everyday lives. If you were here last week, I touched on the story of the Moravians, the Moravian Christians, a group of Christians who'd been persecuted, who'd been allowed to come to this piece of land by Count Zinzendorf and established a Christian community. And there they were, people who were for God, people who wanted to see the kingdom of God come. And so they came together, and you think, as they come together, this is going to be perfect. All of one mind, all of one faith. All with one God in focus. Let's come together and let's celebrate God together. And they did come together and they did celebrate God together. But they kept observing differences between one another. You know, because they come from slightly different church backgrounds. So this is like, well, this is the way we do it. No, this is the way we do it. This is the way we think. This is what we... And all of these little differences over time were causing an irritant and a problem. Such to the point they came to to actually face the facts. Have we got a actually depart? Have we got to leave this community? Have we got to let this community break down because of the differences that we're finding? And try as they might, they found their fleshly behavior. That's which is natural to us, unfortunately. That behavior was rising up and it was tripping them up. And they weren't loving others and loving God as the scriptures had declared. They were loving in the way that they felt best, but they find that their flesh kept getting in the way they kept getting tripped up. That was the story that I mentioned. They were showing, instead of the love of God, they were showing a lack of the love of God towards one another. And it caused complications in that community. But it's not only the Moravians that got caught by this or found this as a challenge. Over a thousand years previous to that, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. And of course, we see what he wrote in 1 Corinthians. But he was writing to the Corinthian church because he observed among them similar types of problems. Paul, who'd actually traveled to Corinth and had spent uh, about a year and a half there, I think, on one of his missionary trips, had established a church there among the people and had left the church, you know, established it. Wow, these people had got saved under his ministry. So he establishes this church, he leaves this church, and then later on he's finding out stuff that's coming back from this church. And actually, the letter that we have, 1 Corinthians, is the first letter that he's writing actually addressing some of the issues. Because hang on a second, what's going on amongst you? You all come to know Jesus. You're all supposed to be living for the things of the kingdom. What the heck's happening? Because he's finding that there's division that's reported amongst them. Actually, not just division. There's there's shameful sexual practices happening. One of the people in the fellowship, he's he's having sexual relations with his, his father's wife. 
And not only that, some of the people are still involved in this idea of idolatry, where you go to an idol temple and you have sex with the idol prostitutes who are there. This is still happening. And actually, not just that. When in their services, some people are getting up and they're speaking in tongues all the time, and then somebody else is trying to interpret, or somebody else is trying to bring a message, and it's all happening all at once, and everything's getting very confused. This is what was going on. So we have all these things going on in the church, There was a lot of confusion, there was a lot of frustration, there was a lot of disrespect being shown to one another. And so Paul writes not only to address some of the issues that he was hearing about in the church, to put them straight as it were, but he wrote this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, to show them, folks, this is the key problem. You need to be loving God and you need to be loving one another. Well, what's love? What's all that about? How do we define it? So Paul writes this chapter, or this chapter is written down, so that they had a basis to work from. Nobody can say, well, I don't understand what love is. No, this is what love is. And just as Paul brought that to the Corinthian church, just as the Moravian Christians also found that they needed to embrace that, and they were crying out to God, and he came and visited them with the presence of his love upon them. So we also need that for ourselves. We need to come to an understanding of what is the standard that God has laid out as far as love towards one another should look like. Because God is love. Therefore, he knows what he's speaking about. He has set the standard and he points us towards himself being the resource that we can go to to find what we need so that we are able to love in the way that he wants us to. Love is of vital importance. As Paul was writing to those Corinthian Christians, he was saying to them, you can have all the spiritual gifts you like. You can have super deep knowledge of God's plans and ways. You can exhibit faith that literally moves mountains and you can give huge sums of money to all the charities you like. But, says Paul, but, he says, if you don't have love, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time you might as well forget it. So you see, love isn't just like, wow, that's okay. It's one of the things we need to take notice of. Love is essential. Love is essential. And here's our challenge, if you like. We want to see an advancement in the kingdom of God. We want to see our communities being changed. We want to see our families being affected. We want to see even our country being affected for the things of God. Then if we want to see that, then we need to be filled with his presence, with his love in us and have that flowing from us because that will make a change to the communities around us. So let's look back at this passage of 1 Corinthians 13. God tells us that love looks like this. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And the aim, if you like, the aim of this morning is that I want to take a much closer look at what we are being told love is like, and to see how that can be worked out in our own lives. So we want to look at the nature of love. 
We're told that as far as God's measure of love is concerned, then love is patient. Love is patient. Now that means that love is not impatient. Sometimes we look at, well, love is patient. Well, that's nice. Patient. Yeah, but what? It isn't impatient. Love is patient. Love is prepared to give time and to give space. But of course, there's times in our lives when, in the midst of our discussions, we don't always have time and space. We want a quick answer. There you are in a cafe, in a cafe Nero or something. You've ordered two bacon rolls. One for you, one for your friend. You've already sorted out the coffees. That's being made. But now you've got this bacon roll. And suddenly, the barista asks you, well, do you want ketchup or brown sauce with that? And you think, well, I know what I want. I'll have ketchup. That's fine. What about your friend? So you turn to your friend and say, do you want ketchup or brown sauce with that? And they turn around and they go, oh, 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 I don't know. You think, what do you mean you don't know? And they say to you, have they got any mayonnaise? Mayonnaise? Do you have mayonnaise with a bacon sandwich? You're joking. No mayonnaise. Do you want red sauce or brown sauce? Quickly, I want an answer. (laughs) And you know how these situations can suddenly turn into a situation where you're demanding, what is the matter with you? Why can't you give me a straight answer? All I want to know is whether there's red sauce or brown sauce. It's easy, isn't it? Have you ever been in that or is it just me? I'm going to take the laughter as those who recognize it could also be them as an encouragement to myself. These sort of situations, you see, love is patient. Now, I know that that's a high-pressure situation, and I don't think it's necessarily talking about every one of those situations, but what it's trying to say to us is love has an attitude of patience about it. It doesn't mean that because I'm loving, everybody in the cafe, will you all stop? Barista, can you stop? Can you, can you stop actually heating those bacon rolls just for a moment? No, no, don't even worry about the sauce. We need to decide on the sauce. Now, if you have time to think about it, could we just make a decision? Can you work that through? It doesn't do that. But inside, there is an ability to be patient, not to retort, not suddenly to find rising up. Look, I have to confess, I fail at this miserably. If Helen was to come up here now, I'm sure that she would underscore that. And I'm hoping that many of you can see where we are at with this. We show signs of frustration far too quickly when we don't feel things are going our way. We get annoyed and we don't really hit those buttons of calmness or impatience. What we're being told by Paul is this. Love is patient. Love is prepared to give time and space. In fact, it's not only patient, but love is kind. Its very nature is kindly. It's not unkind. It's not hurtful. It's not loose with words or harsh terms or criticisms that can from, come so easily flying out of our mouths at those moments. But instead, it is careful It is considered, it is measured in those things. Love is kind. Now, don't worry if, as I've already said, you're already thinking like me, I sort of seem to be falling a little bit short of these just introductory statements of Paul. And incidentally, when Paul writes this, he uses verbs describing love is like this. And the verbs he uses are present continuous verbs. In other words, what he's trying to say to be, this is the way you should behave, not just once. This is your ongoing manner of behavior. 
That's how it's to be worked out. He's expecting us to have a behavior in our lives that looks like this. Sometimes I'm not so loving and I have heard retorts like this to some of my questions. Why do you have to be so aggressive? Can't you ever be patient just for once? You never listen. Oh, for goodness sake. Some of those things have been said to me in response to some of the actions that I have shown. And you know what? We know that our actions are driven ultimately from what's inside us, our hearts, our minds. You know what? I know, I know we don't always think like, oh, I'm going to be nasty now. You don't think like that because it's almost like we're on automatic pilot. What's flowing out of us is this rubbish of no matter how frustrated, no matter how hungry, no matter what's going on with us, we're asking God to say, God, you have told us this is how I would like you to behave. This is the standard that I'm setting. And in one sense, all we're trying to say is, what is that standard? Because we need to understand it. And then we can address ourselves, actually, how well am I doing against that standard? This isn't to bring us down, as in say, like, right, that's it, you unloving church. I thought you said you were a loving church. You're an unloving church. It's not about that. Is if we cannot see what is wrong in our lives, why would we go to God to ask for his help? But when we see our shortcomings, we come to him and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. That's it. He doesn't want to condemn us. He wants us to be in relationship with him and to be connected to him so that he can actually do the work in our lives. So Paul is saying that love is patient. Love is kind. Patience and kindness are both patterns of behavior that I would like to be on the receiving end of thank you very much. We all would say. We all want to be treated with patience and kindness. Why? Because it's nice. That's how we want it. That's nice to receive. Well, if we want to be treated in that way, then that is the way that we seek to be able to treat others. We recognize with some of these things our need of God, but we know that he is there. God is love, therefore he is the resource of love that we can go to. Paul carries on though, he's not just talking about patience and kindness. He goes on to say that love is not jealous. Love is not jealous. Now jealous is where you have a feeling of resentment because you feel that somebody else has got a rivalry over you, or somebody else has got success that's greater than yours, or somebody has got advantages that are better than yours. This is something that we can all experience. We get jealous because of others. But you see, that's not what love is like. Love is not jealous of others. Love is not jealous. That means that when somebody has something that, that you don't have, you don't end up getting all knotted up inside and twisted and annoyed that they should have. They don't deserve that. Why on earth should they have that? Do you know what? I'm far better than them. I did a better job than them. You know, even in work or something like that. My report was better than theirs. They should have taken more notice of me. Those feelings that come up, that we face, that we feel, that we see in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, those feelings come up. What it's telling us is this. Love isn't like that. That's off the agenda when it comes to love. Love is not jealous. Love is concerned about the good of the other. 
Love is concerned about the fact of, hey, actually, I want to celebrate alongside you. I want to actually celebrate what's going on with you rather than give all the reasons of why it's not fair that you have things that I don't have. Whether it be finances, job, car, house, that person next door, they've got the green thing on their car. They've got the plug-in thing outside. They're already there. They don't need to worry about ULEZ or any of that stuff. And if you don't know about ULEZ, we'll talk about that later on. Let's keep moving on. Love is not jealous. And Paul goes on to say, love is not boastful, not proud or rude. Not boastful or proud or rude. And what I pick up here is this, is that love has a humility about it. Listen, love is not controlling or demanding. Love is not controlling or demanding, but rather love tends to bring freedom and a sense of release. Love is never cutting, sharp, or improper in its comments or its actions. Boastful. We know what boastful is like. Look at me. Success. Here it is. Okay. Yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah, I am better than you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, I have read 45 chapters of the Bible today. That's a lie, by the way. I haven't, but... Boastful is when we are making out that we are better than. And you know what? We spend a lot of our lives working on the basis of, I am, even if it's only a smidgen, but I'm above that person. As long as I can feel like that, then I'm a success. I've done good. That's not loving. That's not what love is like. Love is not boastful. And you know what? Being boastful is making sure that your agenda, your interests are put first. Basically, that's what it is. To make sure that you are just ahead. In a queue, you're one step in front of the people who are behind you. You are just ahead of them. That's what being boastful is. We don't always need to have boastful words to be boastful. But you know what? God looks at our hearts and he knows our hearts. So even when we're not using words that are boastful, he knows the motives that are going on in our lives. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. Proud, or being prideful, is basically when, again, we're thinking we're better than we really are. Or even that sense of, I don't need your help. It's, I can manage, thank you. It's okay, I don't need your help. I can manage. I know how to do this. Can you just leave me? There's that sense of pride that comes upon us. You know, sometimes pride is obvious, and we pick up when we're being treated by somebody who's prideful. We pick that up fairly quickly. About them. Sometimes it's a bit hidden, though, you know? Oh, wow, nice shoes. Nice shoes. So you're commenting on somebody on the fact, they're nice shoes. But you see, the reason you're saying that they're nice shoes is because you already know, oh, I know where they came from. They were cheaper than the ones I've got. Mine are better than theirs. But you don't have to mention any of that. Oh, nice shoes. <laughs> but inside, you're thinking, hey, good, you couldn't afford the same ones as me. Mine are better than yours. Therefore, I hold my position of being first. That's what pride does. It's the opposite to what is meant when we're supposed to love. Love is not like that. It's not like that. You can see the difficulty that Paul has got. He's trying to unpack what love is like. He's trying to say this is what God is like because God is love. He is like this. He is not boastful. He is not full of pride. 
And he is not rude. We are rude when we act or behave in an impolite, rough, harsh, discourteous or crude manner. That's when we're being rude. And if you're thinking right now, oh Lord, help us. We've, we fail at so many of these. As I've already said, it's not the issue of whether we're failing. The issue is whether we can see what's going on in our lives. Whether we recognize our need of a saviour. Revelation comes from God only. Only he is the one who can bring that understanding to us. But when we hear his word and he speaks to our hearts and we say like, wow, I'm out of line. That's him doing his work in us because he wants to make us like him. He wants to make us like his son, Jesus. He wants to change us. So love is not rude. Paul carries on. Love is not irritable. We've already understood that love is kind, but the fact that it's not irritable gives us a further, perhaps a deeper insight into the fact that love does not excite you to impatience or anger or frustration. Love has this calming effect, a quieting effect, rather than an irritating effect. Love is not irritable. You can talk to somebody, oh, you know that so-and-so? Oh, they always irritate me. You mean the way they do this? Yeah, the way they do that, it's so irritating, isn't it? Now, that's us reporting on what somebody else is doing. Look, we're not, people can be irritating to us, but if we're to love them, then we've got to stop being irritated back. Love is not irritable. Love is patient and kind. Paul goes on to say that love keeps no record of being wronged. So phrases like, you always... You never. And things like, I told you, if you ever did that again, I would, well, things like that indicate that you are keeping a record of wrongs. Because you've remembered, oh, you always do. You, because you're coming out of your history. You're saying, like, I remember the last time you were like this. I've remembered that. And now what? I'm just reminding you, because you don't seem to remember, this behavior has happened before, and we're not tolerating it again. That's how we behave. You always, you never, all of these sorts of phrases, love keeps no record of being wronged. It's not wanting to bring up past failures, as evidence of what has already happened, it wants to forget about them and start afresh. That is what love is like. Love does not rejoice about injustice. So whenever there's any injustice, love starts to get worked up. It doesn't rejoice in injustice, far from it. It finds no pleasure, no joy, no comfort of any sort when it sees injustice being worked out. There is a sense in which love is actually grieved when it sees such things. And that's why it goes on to say, love does rejoice, however, when truth wins out. When what is true, what is right, what is pure, what is good wins out. So when it sees those things, yes, love gets excited. This is good, this is worth celebrating. But it does not celebrate about injustice. And just for the sake of time, let me move on. Paul finally actually says that love never gives up. It doesn't give up. 
It keeps going. Love and loving, and actually loving others, we need to understand that's going to be more of a marathon than it is a sprint. It's not just, oh, I did that. Phew, managed to love them. Good, done it. Let me move on. Let me now get back to being irritated, frustrated. Uh, no. We've been called to love God and to love others as we love ourselves. And therefore, that's going to be a long-term thing. It's something that we've got to keep working at, something that we've got to keep doing. Not, oh, I'm sick and tired of you. You always, you never change. Love doesn't give up. It keeps on going. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. That's why it doesn't give up. Because despite what you might throw at me, I'm carrying on. Despite what's coming against me, I'm persevering in this fashion of loving. Love never gives up. Talk about something that's steadfast, consistent, full of hope and persistence, despite every type of circumstance, that is what love is like. And that's why some versions, for instance, the New King James says, love doesn't fail. That's how it puts it. Love doesn't fail. So there's our description of love. And you know what? It's a description that we need to read almost daily. So that we can remind ourselves of, what was it God's standard was? What did he say love was like? So that I can remember what he is setting as the standard, because that's the standard he's calling us to. This is what I want from you. When I see that, as I've already said, Lord, I fall short of many times. My impatience, my frustration, it comes up very quickly. Why do I need to listen to somebody giving me a slow answer when they could have said it in five seconds and we could have been moving on? What? Impatience, frustration. I see it. And in just those things, there's many other areas of our life that we see. We need to hold up this nature of love continually in our lives so that we might be reminded and so that the Holy Spirit can prompt us, hey, that's not the way to behave. That's not what I'm asking of you. But also we need to come to that fact of, hey, God is love. I've said to you, He is our resource. Because there's no point in talking about, this is the standard we've got to set. And by the way, everybody, because of your humanity, because of your sinful flesh, you're never going to make it, so let's just carry on. No, 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 no. That's not what we're preaching. We're preaching that all things are possible through Him who comes within us and gives us His strength. All things are possible through Christ. That's what we're told. And more than this, He is there for us to go to. So when we're finding our lack, when we're finding our failures, when we're finding those things and they're thrown up before us, what do we do? We turn to Him and say, Father, have mercy upon me. Yet again have I failed. But I thank you that you have said, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is what his word says. We come to our source. Going back to that image of the car, if that electric car is not plugged in and switched on, there's no recharge of that battery. You know what? For our lives spiritually, when we look at this, I find the battery of my capacity to love goes down. It ebbs. 
I need to be recharged, not only with what is the standard that I'm supposed to be setting, but I need strength from him to enable me to step. You're telling me that it doesn't cost to love? It cost God everything that he had because he sent his one and only son. It costs. Because you're talking about no longer about building yourself up. You're talking about others matter more than me. And when we start to embrace that attitude, because that's the attitude that God wants, he wants us to love others, to prefer others. When we start embracing what he wants us to do, he gives us the strength because he is love. He is the resource that we need when we run dry. He is the resource to turn to. He is the one that we can come to. And let me just underline this by reading this finally. Because what we can say is if God is love, we can read this passage like this and we can clearly understand what God is like because we can say God is patient and kind. God is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. God does not demand his own way. God is not irritable and he keeps no record of being wronged. God does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when truth wins out. God never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. That's the God who is with us to help us. So if we're feeling our lack, let's turn to him to find his supply and his strength. Three things will last forever. Faith hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.